Hello and welcome once again to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and as always, I'm pleased and I'm honored to be your host and your commentator for another of our commentary shows, one of the shows that we have up on air and online. Seven days a week, 24-7, here at www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com. Remember, you have uh, two options to listen to us. Uh, We have several, actually, but if you're coming through the website, uh, you have two links there. You have the standard podcast link. This show, the one you're listening to right now, will be the first show on the podcast feed. It always goes up and replaces the last show that was the most recent. And I believe the 50th or 51st show uh, gets kind of edged off the podcast list as a, as a result. <clears throat> the other uh, option for listening to us, of course, is the second link on our homepage, www.centerlefttalkradio.com. That second option is what we call our radio loop. That is a version of what you're listening to, me here on the air, talking to you, Uh, But it's being uh, put out, it's being sent online, it's being moved through the ether uh, by a separate computer linked to the local uh, modem over here, uh, the office modem, which in turn, uh, by means unknown, uh, but and and certainly including satellites and most probably including extraterrestrials someplace, finds its way to any web-enabled device that you have uh, possession of or can access, and uh, that uh, that will appear, or will when you hit the the switch, when you hit the link, will uh, be playing from whatever point the loop happens to be. It's it is a loop after all, and you pick up the show from wherever it is and listen to it that way. Many of our listeners prefer to listen in the loop format. Pick it up wherever it is, as if you're turning on the radio. Hence, radio loop or just access it as a standard podcast from our webpage, uh, homepage, or pick it up wherever you pick up your podcast from, in which case you'll be looking for Center Left Radio. It is the 9th of August, 2022. Uh, It is the day after the death of Queen Elizabeth. Uh, I was with a very dear friend yesterday, and we were having, um, <laughs> this, this is the shock and yet the reminder of where all this falls uh, came rather, it was an odd way in which I, uh, all of this came about for me yesterday. I mean, I, we, were having, we were having lunch at a very, um, I'm, I'm, no names mentioned, just no need to but a rather well-known and, and, and long, long-established uh, Irish pub uh, on the east side of Manhattan yesterday. I'll, I'll go so far as to say in the East 20s in Manhattan. And uh, it happens to be near where my friend lives, and we'll meet there occasionally, have lunch, and just chat through our lives and stuff like that, catch up. And... 
as we're as we're getting towards the end of lunch, it's getting around time we're both going to leave. And th- there are TVs in various locations, as is in just about every uh, pub and 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 bar restaurant in in New York. And uh, one or both of us at the same time noticed the flashing news that the Queen had passed away at the age of 96. She was up in Balmoral in Scotland. Now, the, the staff, the, well, the only person on staff that I was aware of was our waitress, and she was dyed in the wool from the other side Irish. And both my friend and I, my, 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 my friend is married to a guy from England, uh, and and uh, he well came over as a kid, but but has roots, has feelings. My wife, as as listeners of the show may know, is from India originally, and she's been here now for more than half her life. And both of us, sort of reflexively, went ahead and said, "We've got to call them." You know, and and my wife had not heard the news yet. Her nor had her husband heard the news, and and so there was a, and 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 I I could tell from both of our voices and both of our reactions that the people we were talking to on our phones were somewhat taken back and and obviously clearly saddened. Both both had a connection. India certainly, uh, and 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 England certainly, uh, with this queen. Uh, the queen who had been the queen for 70 years of our lives. And, and as we were speaking on the phone, I, I looked up and I happened to notice that the waitress, our waitress, was hovering near. She was, she was working. There was, she seemed to be almost the only, almost the only person in the place. The, the, there didn't seem to be the regular bar, a, a bartender there. So she was both getting drinks and, and getting food and getting our wine and, and, and all this other stuff. And I, as we're both on the phone, my, and she was a, 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 an absolutely charming, pleasant, humorous sort of, uh, you know, your, uh, is there such a thing as your standard Irish import, import uh, waitress in New York City? Uh, and, and, but she had all those positive charming characteristics about her. But as we're both conveying the message to our respective spouses, it was clear we were obviously both loud enough, or she was close enough to hear both of us speaking. And there was a look on her face. And it was clear that it wasn't, it was, it was how could I put it, neutral. It, it wasn't, it wasn't, arrogance, it wasn't belligerence, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it certainly wasn't empathy, but there was a reminder that there was a distance between the so-called, what was called, or is called, I don't know if anyone bothers saying anymore, the free state of Ireland, Ireland for all intents, the Irish Republic, and Northern Ireland that there is still in older people, and she was, this woman was probably in her 50s, there was a sense of difference. Something, uh, not, not the warmest feeling in the world towards 
England generally. And clearly, the, the crown would be representative of that. Now, now again, keep, you, you have to just picture this situation. This is as I'm digesting, as we're digesting the news of the Queen's passing. And you can just sense the history going with this, the, the, the history of where Elizabeth was and how much a part and how, for how long she was a part of everything in that region and everything all over the world. Clearly, this woman, the, the, the waitress, a charming lady, but clearly she was having memories. The passing of Elizabeth is, is, a, is a point of recollection for so, of so many things, of, of a realization of how much of history has passed through and how much of history this woman herself has passed through on her own. And through it all, more than anything else, has done it, and, I, and, I, and I've read, Andrew Sullivan said this beautifully uh, in, a, in a piece in the Times yesterday, and I'm, and I'm barely paraphrasing him, but the idea he got across, and he got it across very, very succinctly, I doubt if we'll ever see this much dignity, restraint, um, just confidence building, um, a, a, a capacity for unification in someone before who, who put the needs of the office, the needs of the people in essence, before her need or desire to express her personal opinion. And yet in doing so, without expressing a personal opinion on a regular basis, was able still to bring together a nation that was quite often divided in other political ways. She, in her dignified, restrained way, still became a touchstone for all of England. And the world, for that matter. I mean, when you're queen for 70 years, certainly we here in an English-speaking country, the affiliation, we were England, we were an English colony, we got so much of their mannerisms, ideas, world outlook, the language, you know, they, the joke, of course, you know, we, do, we speak English or American, fine, okay, get that. We can't help but feel this long, long-term affiliation with the English that goes through, it goes through wars, it goes through economic situations, it goes through cultural variations. It, it, there's the Beatles and there's us and there's you know, all of these things. We, we just, we've got England in our veins, no matter how much we change, no matter how much England changes. There is this affiliation, and there's been this fascination 
with the monarchy. And yes, the monarchy has been maligned in England. It's maligned here. It's either ignored. Or, but there's something about that woman, this little woman who's been on the throne for 70 years through, is it 15 prime ministers? Uh, Liz Truss uh, was just basically formally uh, invited to form a government by her uh, two days before her death. Um, how many American presidents? I, 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 I can't even... Uh, I can't even venture. I guess it would start with Truman, I suppose, it, at least once she was on the throne. Certainly, uh, Roosevelt was there when she was, uh, when she, well, it was before Roosevelt, I guess. I guess it was when Hoover would have been there before, before that. That's the time when she was, she was born in, in 20, let's see if she's 96, 26? No, no, what am I saying? She would have been born in... Uh, in the in the late 1920s, this woman has been through everything, seen everything, and been this constant in everyone's life. And instantaneously, she is no longer well. Instantaneously, we will go through this. The, the, the England will go through a period of mourning. There will be all kinds of memorials. We'll be hearing nothing, but there'll be wall to wall. Uh, not that there wasn't yesterday, but there'll be more wall to wall as we get into the formal ceremonies and all that. And at some point, there'll be. I don't. I. I hope they don't get into the equivalent of his mother's coronation uh, for Charles's coronation. I don't think England really needs or or wants that level of pomp especially uh with you know a 20% inflation rate i understand and and uh, uh a sense of what where is the monarchy at this stage in the game and, and charles of course the, the reality uh, being uh that he's not he's not elizabeth <laughs> well, no one is, no one, no one was, no one I don't think ever will be. So it's a moment of uncertainty, but it's also a point of comparison, especially for us in America, to know that there is at least a constitutional, or there's no written constitution in the UK, it's, they, the UK does what it does, out of a respect for its tradition based on the Magna Carta and all oral tradition and then laws that have been passed ever since, but it's never needed to set it down in a constitution. America was enough of a break from uh, America wanted to memorialize, as most countries do, to state who they are and get it formal. The British just never felt that sense. They, they felt that what bound them and what they were all committed to transcended the need for a written document. Yes, laws are there. Norms are, are memorialized. But just no need for a written constitution. It says something about a, a culture and a people. To the part that I think is, is just most fascinating to, to contemplate is that Donald Trump and Elizabeth II were the uh, titular heads 
of both their countries at the same moment in human history. One being the paragon of dignity, of restraint, of respect for oneself, one's office, and the people that one is entrusted to lead or, or be an example to or to attempt to unite at the expense of one's ability to express one's opinion, not at the expense of, of, of the, the, the trappings of royalty or, the, or the, the, uh, the perks of royalty, the wealth of royalty, but also knowing where to draw the line in letting people inside the royalty of knowing what's going on behind, the, behind that curtain and, and knowing that preserving a sense of royalty and monarchy requires a certain degree of uh, not subterfuge, but, but secrecy. It's the magic basically requires a certain amount of curtain pulling, as it were, keeping that curtain drawn, showing a little leg now and then, as it were. Elizabeth had this down to a science, or as good a science as any one person could be imagined to possess or to exercise in the 70-year span of her reign. Donald Trump, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I, I couldn't help but, 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 but put the two thoughts together. What, the, the total lack of restraint, the total lack of control, the total lack of dignity, the, the utter ugliness of that man and everything that he is rightfully accused of versus the un, 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 unavoidable differentiation in style, personality, and in, in basically in breeding and, and everything else between him and Elizabeth II, the recently past Queen of England, who was there for 70, who was there for my entire life, basically, and is now replaced by her son Charles, who will become Charles III. Uh, it, it, it's, it's just, it, it's a bit of a shock still. She's been there forever, and she's not there now there, there's the, there's this buffer period. There's this there's this sort of soft landing, ten days of mourning within the UK, and then the formal state funeral. But Charles then must take over in a country racked by inflation, uh, still struggling with its place after Brexit, still trying to find a way to fit into the EU. Um, with all manner of, of, of still of cultural issues, the very likelihood that there may be another Scottish referendum coming down. I, it, it's not an enviable time to take over uh, as king after you've been waiting <laughs> for, for 73 years, Charles. I, 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 don't, I don't envy him. I, I don't know that he envies himself or feels particularly thrilled about taking over. And of course, there's going to be all of these questions about William and should William have taken over for Charles initially? Of course not. 
uh, you know, England, England, if nothing, if nothing, uh, in, in this non-constitutional uh, monarchy, uh, you know, uh, basically uh, you do follow the, the fundamental rules of succession. A parent passes it down, uh, the, the kingship or the queenship, as it were, to the oldest child next in line. That happens to be Charles. So how it all plays out, I, 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 I don't know. Um, we're, all, we're all royal watchers. There may be opinions about the value of the royalty, uh, of, the, of, of, the, of the royal family, of, of how much money, what does it cost the average Briton, what is it, is, is, it a, is it an unnecessary, is it a harmful anachronism? Because it does affect us here in the States. We are, we are, we are aware of our affiliation to England, and England is, is united under... The monarchy, it's no more united than we would be under a purely political system. The monarchy is supposed to transcend that. Can it continue to do that? It will be a continuing story to find out how all that plays out. What we, what we do know about things playing out uh, getting uh, back to this side of the pond, uh, is that Steve Bannon, the, the, yes, this is the same Steve Bannon uh, who was basically uh, convicted. Was he, was he already convicted or had he simply been indicted at that point? I, for, I forget the stage in the federal uh, case against him. The case was for raising money to build the Southern Wall. Steve Bannon got out there and uh, with, with, the, with the grifter's heart that, he's, that he is possessed of, uh, after being on, uh, you know, with, with whatever the radio station, the, ra the radio uh, group that he was part of there forever, just he's a grifter at heart. They all are. Donald is the ultimate grifter. And he was out there raising money for a charity that he ostensibly was simply, uh, you know, he, he was just basically managing it. And, and of course, he wasn't going to take a salary. He, he made a point of saying that. Why would he need one? I'm, I'm Steve Bannon. I'm well taken care of, or my opinions are so valuable that I make, well, however, however that would be justified. But he, um, it, it seems that of the millions that were raised by this uh, grift, none of which was supposed to actually be Steve's, well, Steve managed to hold on to more than a million of it for himself and, and spent it on himself and spent it rather luxuriously. And apparently federal investigators catching wind of this did not take kindly to the notion that Mr. Bannon could just uh, put, put up a false flag a, a, to create a false basis for bilking people of their money and worse than that, profiting off of it after he said he would not. That is fraud. It's flat-out grifting fraud. It's basically robbery. You're robbing people. It, there are lots of laws against that. I imagine the actual prosecution, I would have to look back how it was done on the federal side, may have involved mail fraud or something like that that basically would have given it the federal flavor it needed. 
And, and, and as, you, as we all probably know as well, uh, Steve Bannon was ultimately pardoned by Donald Trump. He and, and Michael Flynn and uh, Paul Manafort and uh, who else uh, did, did uh, and it, I, I guess it was the, the, main, the main crowd that was involved in the, well, Giuliani hadn't been convicted of any crimes, nor has he been technically indicted yet. He's been, he's been uh, his license has been, his law license has been suspended throughout the United States, and he will be eventually uh, totally disbarred. He, but, but that's the stage he's in right now. But these anyone who was involved in setting up January 6th, the main people were Giuliani, um, Flynn, and, and Bannon. Bannon had been basically on the outs with Trump. He was brought back in later on. Those were the people who, who Donald basically, well, the two that already had convictions, Flynn and Bannon, or at least indictments, those were the ones that, that Trump just let off. They were his confederates. He, he didn't use the presidential pardon power to show mercy. No, he basically used it as a mafia don getting his soldiers off the hook. Didn't bother giving, giving Rudy a preemptory free pass in, in some federal situation. Never gave himself a free pass because that would be implicit that he'd done something wrong. No, he couldn't have done anything wrong. Donald is a victim, right? And irony of ironies, the, the indictment yesterday against Steve Bannon is a state criminal prosecution. When you, when the president, uh, when a sitting president grants pardons, it he can pardon you for federal crimes. We have this massive separation between uh, federal and state government on so many levels under the, I guess the the 13th, 14th, and 15th amendments. Uh, in in some collective way, even though the federal government has priority in its laws, but there is a lot of distinction. And here is where one of the distinctions plays out in the pardon process: the president can only pardon you for your federal crimes. Now. We don't, we should have a rule. We don't have a rule that says, by the way, they can't be crimes in which he was complicit or even where there's the appearance of complicity, you know, of, 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 of affiliation in the crime. That doesn't bother Donald. Donald will run roughshod over that. His whole approach, as Bannon has picked it up, and so did Flynn and, and others working for him, is this absolute disdain for rules and regulations and an out-and-out willingness to grift freely with absolutely no apparent, uh, no apparent visible concern about consequences. An arrogance, just, just an insane kind of a crazy arrogance that carries with it for many people, and, and, and this is why it's mainly why it's cultivated by a Donald types, like by a by a mafia Don type, is that it also conveys a sense of invulnerability, of impenetrability, of Teflon-ness. And the more you act this way, and the more you get away with. It's a reinforcing loop. 
you are getting the public reaction that goes, my God, nothing touches this guy. And you are simultaneously emboldened to do all the more. It, it's, it's a dangerous loop to be in. Now, Bannon, Steve Bannon, is recognizing that part of it right now. And he came into court yesterday with bravura and he's smiling. He's waving to the crowd. The, 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 the uh, court official who s greeted him at his black SUV coming out tried to usher him right into the building, but Bannon stopped and waved to the crowd and said, we're going to, we'll get them all, whatever he said. And then the other, the, the, the next cut to scene in many of the, in many of the, uh, the B-roll news clips that, that showed him yesterday is him with his hands cuffed behind his back, standing before the magistrate, whoever it was that basically read the indictment to him. And he has this Cheshire Caddish kind of smile on his face but it, it, it's lacking the bravura that was seen outside the courtroom. And the reality, I, I, I just looking at him, <coughs> I, I think the reality was beginning to set in. He'd already been, I believe, convicted of the federal crime. It's, it's a slam dunk case. There's, there's just no way that he's not going to be convicted here. I, well, there's always a possibility, but it's, it's slim to nil. It, it's, it's all there. He's going to be convicted, and the sentencing guidelines for this, for being this much of a grifter and robbing this much from people fraudulently, gets him somewhere between five on the low end, and 15 years behind bars. Now, now that's, that's serious time. And, and I imagine that for all the bravura that maybe that he'll still come up with and try to, and try to express and everything else, when he looks around him now, he recognizes that there's no Donald to basically, free. well, don't worry, when Donald gets reelected, he'll, he'll, he'll get me out. Well, you'll be in jail for at least a year or more by the time that happens. And it's not going to happen, by the way, because Donald will be convicted before then. But that's, that's another part of the story. And, and, and if you're Steve Bannon, you have to recognize that all of this grifting bravura that you have built up, all of, all of, this, of this soul brother feeling that you had with yourself and Donald, this rush of invincibility that came with actually being pardoned for your federal crimes by a guy who could just say it and make it go away, this, this hyper explosion of impenetrability that came with this sense that we can just make it all go away. They can't touch me. That's gone. That's gone. Oh, yeah, um, uh, the, the defendant pleads not guilty. Okay, but the defendant knows he's guilty, and the defendant will be convicted, and the defendant will go to jail. There's not much question that can be raised about that. What was raised yesterday, what I found fascinating, 
and, and, you know, you, you don't you don't think about this because there's so much else that's coming down in the Trump, you know, coming down on Trump in Trump world. But but as Donald was losing or as he lost the election, he began his own fundraising. And the fundraising was under the banner of Stop the Steal. You were supposed to give money, and his people willingly did, to the tune of something like $250 million went to something called Stop the Steal. Its ostensible purpose as was written on the websites and on all of the social media postings where this was coming from incessantly via Donald, its ostensible purpose was to, was to develop a legal defense fund for Donald to go back and reverse the election. It was very specific. This money will be used to reverse the election. This was being done by Donald when he and every other rational person capable of admitting it, whether they, whether they, I don't, I don't know, you know what, what their emotional state or their mental state, but the reality, the reality in the world was and is that Donald lost the election. If anyone on earth knew that, it was Donald. Knowing that, he still began the stop the steal grift. That, that, that's all it can be called. It was a lie. There was no way in which there was a legal route to basically overturn what had already been decided legally. The money that was spent by Rudy going out and, 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 and attempting these, these various lawsuits, I'm not sure if that money came from the Stop the Steal Fund. There were something like 62 lawsuits. I think the Stop the Steal actually began a bit later. I think, I, I'm not sure how the funding on that worked out, but it wasn't a quarter of a billion dollars. And more, more often than not, when Rudy, in fact, Rudy, Rudy hasn't been paid for much of the work to this day, as far as I know. Donald's famous for not paying bills to attorneys. So most of that work goes unpaid. But there was never any major uh, development of, of evidence or material because every time Rudy would get into court to go ahead and try to file one of these cases, after he'd make some outlandish statement outside the courtroom, he would be asked to show proof because there'd be a motion. It would usually be preceded by a motion to set aside, uh, to set aside the vote based on fraud. And, and the question would come up on the motion. Well, where is your evidence? And the answer was the same virtually every single time, 60 plus times. We ain't got none. Now, Rudy wasn't there 60-plus time. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about cases. Three or four of these went to the Supreme Court, by the way. They were, they were knocked down immediately by the Supreme Court. There was none to this day. No evidence has been presented to any court in the country that would basically force or even force a consideration of the possibility that there was fraud in the election. 
clearly Donald knows this. So, so whatever pennies proportionately might have been spent on that, that still leaves the vast bulk, if, if, if it came from that particular fund, that leaves the vast bulk of $250 million. Where is it? Is it, is it at the RNC? No. Is it, is it at any of the re-election committees? Is it, is it being used by Republican candidates to further their election possibilities? Where, where is that money? Donald has that money. By all accounts that we're hearing now, that money went to Donald. The controller of that money, the ultimate hand on that money, the ultimate, the ultimate ability to expend it and use it any way they want, that rests, rested and still rests with Donald Trump. Now, Steve Bannon gets indicted for taking somewhere north of a million dollars and spending it on himself. In a, and based on a false promise to build a wall. Donald Trump, based on a false promise to stop the steal, to basically turn around the election, give me your money, it will turn around, knowing full well that that is a lie. It is a complete grift. Goes ahead and raises a quarter of a billion dollars. And it's his. It's nowhere else but within his control. Is that deserving of an indictment somewhere? Can, can, can anyone imagine that that particular, that that, that particular uh, egregiousness is not being investigated somewhere within the Justice Department right now. And you add that, of course, to the entire uh, re retention and God knows what usage of top secret classified compartmentalized documentation. You add that to the god-awful uh, uh, ruling by Judge... Aileen Cannon uh, to basically kind of uh, stop uh, the, well, the, the Justice Department can continue to investigate, but it's just they, they just can't use the documents that they collected from Mar-a-Lago in that investigation. What? She, she, it, it, was, it, was, it was the most logic-free, legal reasoning-free decision that many legal scholars, I don't content, content, you know, include myself as a legal scholar, but it's pretty easy to read and see that the thing was completely without merit. Wacky, the notion that you have to, well, you know, remember, I, Aileen said, well, what harm could it be to, to appoint a special master to review the documents that have already been reviewed by the FBI that traditionally under any situation like this will continue to be investigated as part of the pursuit of a, of a criminal investigation as an espionage investigation, which is of its, by its nature time sensitive because you've got to know and figure out where this information might have gone, how it might have affected U.S. operations, 
things in any number of secret ways. You can't just stop that because you owe a political favor to Donald, Aileen. You can't, you, yeah, you're, you're free to destroy your legal reputation. You're free to make yourself absolutely anathema to anybody with a lick of, of respect for the law. That, that's, that's your privilege. You're, you're free to basically make everyone look at you from now to the day that you retire or however else you leave the bench and say, oh yeah, that was, that, that was, the, that was the Trump judge. She was the one who basically handed Trump a freebie, basically to slow down the prosecution. Well, they, they indicted him anyway in the end, but she basically tried to slow it down because that's what, that's what you know, Trump appointees did. That's, you know, they're, they're not real judges, they're Trump judges. They're all trumped up. That's, that's where she is at. That's all anyone will ever know about her, unless she takes the opportunity based on a filing that the uh, Justice Department has just put in. There's been some, some great legal writing. I mean, I, man, they've got, they've got the best of the best there, I'm telling you. And there was a, uh, there was a lot of uh, questioning going on as to, what, well, what do you do with this? You know, if, if, we allow, if we allow Cannon's decision to stand... Uh, this whole process could be slowed down by, I don't know. Every the estimates were a couple of a few weeks to to a few months. But if you if you take seriously, oh, and, and by the way, and if we simply allow the special master thing to play out, we can probably get through the documents pretty quickly. Now, that, that still means that you have to find the right special master. And, and the names, names of potential special masters were, according to Cannon's order, to be presented to her by the end of, I think by the end of the day today, or maybe by the first thing Monday. No, it was the end of the day today, if, as I recall. So if the government was going to simply ride this one out... Okay, we'll see how long this takes. Two things, no appeal, and, gener and to be in compliance with Cannon's order to present a list of potential special masters to her by some time. Or apparently, that would be the obligation of the Trump team today. You can only imagine... <laughs> Who the Trump team would, uh, uh, let's see, uh, Rudy, uh, Flynn, uh, Manafort, uh, who the hell knows? You, you might find some disgraced person willing to put their name or willing to be associated. Some, usually it's a retired judge who winds up being a special master. You might find one or two who actually would want to have their name associated with this travesty of justice. But now where, where this, I, I apparently, I gather that because there has been a formal statement by the Justice Department that they intend to appeal this to the 11th Circuit, okay, uh, this 
at a minimum, probably, well, first of all, it means that they will not be obviously submitting a slate of, uh, a slate of, uh, of potential special uh, masters uh, to re-review the documents because they're challenging it. They're challenging the entire order. I gather that probably takes the Trump attorneys off the hook and they won't have to embarrass themselves with the rather uh, frightening list of people and having that list reviewed by the media uh, for who would actually want to be uh, the person who re-reviews uh, stuff in total violation of FBI and Justice Department protocol, who continues with the fantasy that the grift will overcome all. I, I guess that kind of takes the Trump team off the hook there. But this also makes for an interesting uh, setup here with the 11th Circuit, there has to be, and, and, and the government is counting on it, that the 11th Circuit, in a fit of judicial rationality, even though uh, many of the justices on the 11th Circuit sitting and bonk, the, 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 the appeals, the, the larger circuit, which I believe has something like 11 or 13 justices on it, and it's an odd number, but the, but the odd number runs in favor of Republicans. Even with that, and even, uh, even though, you know, and, and the Supreme Court, even in its rulings concerning Trump, uh, certainly the ones concerning his ability to stop the election or turn the election around or re-review the election, th there's enough judicial rationality out there. And, and, and the case law is so settled in terms of the lack of uh, the lack of a basis for any claim of executive privilege it's so it's so absolutely settled that the justice department is saying it's worth it to us on on two levels to take this to appeal first we must be seen as true to our statement that this was wrong, it was wrongly, it was wrongly administered, it was absolutely wrongly decided. It is dangerous to the security of the country to prevent us from continuing our investigation, our criminal investigation, which, which basically involves our understanding of what might have been done with these documents by the former jerkazoid basically in, use, in, in the furtherance of his own uh, pocket or, or power or whatever, because this is what the SOB does and has done his entire life. Everything, everything is a means to an end to him. Everything is, 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 uh, is transactionalized. We need to check this out, and you can't just stop this process. And if we allow this to go forward simply with the special master and say, well, we'll just wait the time out and then we'll get... No, we are basically undermining our own statements, our own position about ourselves, A. And B, it's just lousy damn law and we don't want this to be precedent for future cases that may evolve this way. Now... My gut, and that's all I have to go with here. But it, it, yeah, you know, 
appeals courts don't want to, you know, their justices, their lower level judges, it, there's a thing about not wanting to give them some leeway, not make them look bad, etc. In this case, I believe, I, I, have to, I have enough faith, maybe it's hope, that, that, that basically the, the, the 11th Circuit in reviewing this appeal will come to its, well, is already at, but will express political rationality and will basically stay the judge's order. And at a minimum, even if there's a, okay, we'll let, we'll let, a, special, we'll let a special master get in there. But the Justice Department can continue its investigation concerning the most serious uh, secret documentation out there. I, I, I believe that's going to happen. Now, another thing happened also. Uh, there, there, and, 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 well, it happened. There's been, as, as Bill Barr and others and people on Fox or, or, or Fox interviews have been all, many anyway, uh, tending to say that Trump is guilty of sin, that this is a proper exercise of the DOJ's authority, and so on and so forth. Th there is a growing sense that this is just literally a case of waiting for the other shoe to drop, that, that Trump will be, that, that the DOJ, and especially now in taking the appeal on this, is in a position where there's just no way in hell they can't indict and if they indict, the odds are very, very strong they'll get a conviction. If they convict, what will the sentencing be all about? Can they possibly not ask for jail time? Can he just be convicted and somehow, uh, I don't know, uh, not under I don't, house arrest? I, I have no idea. But can there be something, can the punishment be something less than the same punishment? If, if you're going to apply the law as you would apply it to any other person, can the punishment be that much less? I have a crazy thought, and I'm just going to throw this out at this point, as to how this might be handled. And again, I'm, I'm working under the assumption that there's going to be an indictment. If there's going to be an indictment, there's going to be a, a trial, and Donald will be convicted. Slam dunk. And that, and that's why the Justice Department is running with this one so strongly. Before it gets to the quarter billion dollars in fraudulent fundraising and everything else that's out there, and before Georgia indicts him for election tampering and, and everything else that's hanging out there, and, and New York State has the... Uh, everything, everything. I mean, Donald's... Everything there. Everything's just hanging there. Let's assume that the indictment will happen sometime after the November election. Maybe it's sometime into 2023. The trial will follow. Shouldn't take terribly long. But there will be an initial conviction. And the conviction will involve a sentencing, and there'll be an appeal immediately, of course. But in the meanwhile, there will be a conviction and a sentencing. Assuming that the appeal, uh, that if Trump is out, let's see now, 
what would the timing on this be? The, no, the, the sentencing would come and the appeal would, ba be, would basically then come. Uh, it, it would, there are two ways that he could be sentenced. He could be, could the sentencing be stayed during the appeal? Typically, no. If there is a sentence in a criminal, in a federal criminal, in, in a state criminal case, you'll be serving your time while the appeal is going on. That's simply how this works. So let's say Donald is given, I don't know, let's be moderate about this thing. Let's say somewhere between five to 10 years. Is what, what I, I'm, I, it could be as much as 20. There's some pretty strong, there's some pretty strong federal guidelines on this. this is, these, these are not light charges. Let's say he's given 20 years. It, it's it's going to be ugly there. Let's say Joe Biden is still in the White House and everybody now is yelling and, and the Republicans are out of their mind and we're not, you can't take him, you will not take our, you shall, not, whatever they're yelling. And they're, and they're shooting off their AR-15s in the street and there may be some of them are shooting at FBI, whatever the hell they're doing. However nuts these people are going to get and they'll get immediate pushback for doing it. But, but. What do you do to basically thwart the notion that, okay, the second we're in control, we're going to get even with you? That, that, that's the big fear here, that we will go after Joe we, as, soon as, as soon as we have enough control and a, and a, and a Republican president, we're going to go after Joe. Our Justice Department, we'll, we'll, we'll find something. We will basically go back to the good old Trump method of basically making the DOJ and, and, and making the, the Attorney General the President's Attorney General, and we will have a revenge prosecution against Joe Biden. For what? Who knows? Just make something up. Doesn't matter. Just it'll be harassment. Yeah, get him back. What could Joe possibly do to make that a harder thing or a harder uh, element for the revenge tour that other Republicans would have whenever a Republican gets control of the White House once again? It'll happen eventually. I don't know when. Thought. After the sentencing, come on national television and say, I... We have seen justice play out. You have seen the arrest, the conviction, the prosecution, and the conviction of the former president. He has been duly convicted, and the sentence has been a just one. He is appealing it right now, but the sentence is a just one. I am offering to commute that sentence if Donald Trump will appear on national television, admit to his crimes completely, fully, without reservation, without any kind of subterfuge, without any kind of accusation, and advise others not to do what he's done and say that this should not be a tit-for-tat situation that I made my mistakes, 
And that's all there is to it, and I'm manning up to it. Now, the odds of that happening, the odds of Donald doing that are, I would not even say slim to nil. I would just say nil. But it puts Joe Biden in an interesting position where the, the ability to, where the, you separate out the ability to convict, to prosecute, to, to prove judicially, and to sentence a former president for crimes committed, for the fact that they actually did this. But you stop short. You, there is that last moment where we say, but here's where we might be able to draw a line. We will not throw you in prison as they do in so many other countries with former, uh, they've done it with former leaders, and, and, and this is something that we want to be above. Now, there could be other conditions that Biden could ask for. In po- you will not do this, you will not participate in that, you will never blah, 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 blah. But you must make a statement, Donald, and, and everything, all the conditions we're putting out there, this basically is what stands between you and, a, and essentially dying in prison. Take your choice. And if you do it in a less than convincing fashion, if you cannot do this and it'll be scripted, now, there'll be people who will be running around saying, uh, blah, 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 blah. He was just reading a script. You know how Donald can, you know, read, like, it's like Donald reading a State of the Union address where he's, he suddenly goes on drugs and, and didn't even, he's not even there. He's just reading off a teleprompter. It, none, of the, none of the verb, none of the gusto is there. And people will be saying they drugged him. They basically blah, 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 blah. But he will have to keep his mouth shut. He will not. I don't think it's possible. You see, this is the whole point. I don't think Donald will be, able to, will be able to deal with the conditions that would be necessary. He'd never be able to fulfill them. But it gives Biden the opportunity. It gives Joe Biden the opportunity to say, this is how the presidential pardon process should be utilized, and this is something that could be for the best of the country. I cannot simply exculpate this guy because he's guilty as sin. But he can admit to his own crimes. He can admit to the American people that he did what he did and then drift into the sunset. There'd be all these conditions... But if he can't, then so be it. And meanwhile, Donald's in prison. And, uh, and, and it'll be a limited time offer. Now, I, I, I know I'm, I'm going to hear about this. I'm going to be accused of that's crazy talk. About, but, but I would ask people before they, they get all kinds of crazed about this, think about this. We can't not prosecute. We can't not convict and we cannot, can't not sentence. The president can then show the leadership 
and can set a precedent that could be followed if, God forbid, we ever wound up with another Donald type. And that mercy, tempered by a concern for national security and, and tamping down the lid on potential violent reaction, leads me, says the president, to make this offer. But you have to come out and you have to basically say, I did it. It was wrong. I apologize to the American people. I am bowing out of public life. Don't bother to call. I will not respond to you. I don't imagine. Donald, Donald being a, a head case will not be able to handle that. But Joe could put that on the table. Oh, well, no, 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 just let him rot in jail, say, you know, the people who would get angry. No, says Joe. Let's see if we can learn from this. Let's see if we can basically get past. Let's see if we can distinguish ourselves once again as being the best of the best. That we are America that we are not going to prosecute, wantonly prosecute our political opponents, that we will not be perceived as wantonly prosecuting. We will, we will convict where it's necessary, and then mercy can be offered if, if people will open up. And, 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 and whatever effect this would have on the desire of the next Republican president, the pressure that they might be under from the crazies within the party. They'll still be there for a long time to basically go after Joe. Get him. They got Donald. Go after Joe. It's a thought. If you're, you're invited to reject it out of hand, that's fine. But I would, I would appreciate your thoughts about it. And, and, and think about it. Um, maybe... No, no, not maybe, definitely, with a little jazz.
This is Richard Gazer. You know, it takes lots of time and effort and all kinds of resources to produce the kind of quality program we produce here at Center Left Radio. And it costs money to do it. Now, if we screamed a little louder or thought a little less about what we were saying, we could probably get a few advertisers to pay us to sell their products to a more tribally predictable audience. But that's not who we are or who you are. You come to Center Left Radio for non-commercial, thoughtful commentary. You're looking for an honest, progressive approach to solving America's problems, not exacerbating them. And we're committed to providing all of that. We're one of the few stations offering full-time, non-commercial, progressive programming. And we're the only station, the only one, doing it with a combination of hope, politics, and that most eloquent of all original American art forms, jazz. Think of it this way. We support your needs. Now we're asking you to support ours. Take a moment and go to our website, www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com, and go to the donate page. And when you get there, give whatever you can. On a one-time or maybe a recurring basis, $5, $10, $1,000, whatever you can contribute to make center-left radio's unique progressive voice stronger and even more significant as the full extent of the wrongdoing of Donald Trump and his associates becomes all the more evident. And as we seek to hold the House Democrats accountable for the promises they made to the American people during the last election. Yeah, you know what's at stake. And I know, we all know, we can count on you. On behalf of all of us at Central F Radio, Thank you. You've been listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and thank you once again for being part of today's show. Political reality. Donald will be indicted. Donald will be convicted. Donald will be sentenced. Should he be put in jail? Could Joe Biden offer a conditional pardon if Donald will confess to what he has actually done? Set a different kind of precedent. Your thoughts. <laughs>